because that actually forced us to start looking at things. And so all of a sudden our bank account started, we're just like, okay, well, we're not putting this into our 401k. Now all of a sudden there's a lot more money that's flowing into our bank account. Well, what are we gonna do with this? So we looked at different ventures. Real estate was one, uh, opening a gym or opening a restaurant, right? Those just always seem like the ones that people think mm -hmm. about, right? And so, uh, because I had worked in gyms before and kind of saw the grind and the amount of effort that was put into it and, and the likelihood of them failing, that obviously didn't work out in restaurants. We don't know anything about it. Just, you know, <laughs> in the back of your head, it just sounds cool to open a restaurant. Um, yeah. So that's why real estate kind of came first and foremost, because it was like, hey, pseudo passive, you can put money in and, and ideally get, get money out monthly. So yeah, we did start, I don't want to say single family, but we started in individual units. We bought some condos uh, in Raleigh near, uh, near downtown. Uh, there's a college there. And so they're kind of nice. All right, guys, welcome again to another amazing episode. Today we have John Blanton. John, John's an amazing guy. I talked to him about uh, a few months ago. Uh, we connected, just, just chatted, uh, just told me his thoughts. And I, I figured out that's where his, uh, his podcast came from, which is uh, the contrarian cash flow. He's just a contrarian. He wants to make sure you get all sides of, uh, of a of an argument, the perspective, so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, he, he guides people to fulfillment by helping them identify earning opportunities, like thinking differently. So we're gonna chat about him. He's a multifamily investor. Uh, he, more on the JV side, if, if I'm correct, than, than on the syndication side, but definitely making his way, uh, paving his own way, and, and now speaking on stages uh, just doing amazing things. So we're going to go ahead and talk to him and, and get some nuggets uh, as to how, how he does his, how he's making it happen. So John, if you can, you know, give us a little bit of, of, of your background, how, how you got interested in real estate and specifically in multifamily. Yeah. What's up guys. Appreciate you guys what's having up? me on. Yeah, absolutely, brother. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I kind of started off down the path that, that most people do, right? You think, hey, you got to go to college, you go get an, a high paying salary job, and you just kind of ride off into the sunset until you retire. White picket fence, right? Uh, and so I think I had this realization. Um, I actually struggled very hard to find a job out of school. I went pre-med, but um, <laughs> decided early on that, that I just didn't think I'd want to hang around school that long. And uh, I didn't have any internships. I'd done some, some coaching and I had a club baseball team that I was managing. And so I was kind of trying to go down that entrepreneurial path and uh, kind of just conversations with buddies, family members. It's kind of like, okay, you know, that's great for now, but like, you know, you got to grow up and get into the real world and get into the corporate side. And so, you know, I was just like, okay, I guess this is just the way things need to go. And so from there, it was actually really challenging for me to find a job coming out of school but landed in sales and, you know, just kind of had an exponential rise from there and um, was very fortunate, landed in good positions. And early on, just kind of got to that level of attaining, you know, that income fairly, fairly quickly. And what I realized was I didn't feel any different, right? I thought like, hey, you know, you hit that six figure, you hit 150, you hit 200, whatever, like you're going to feel different. You're like, hey, I'm the man. And it really wasn't the feeling that I had expected. Nothing changed. My wife didn't look at me any differently. My kids didn't look at me any differently. Yeah. Um, you know, the only thing that started getting worse was my tax bill. You know, every year it just kept getting higher yeah. and higher and higher. Obviously, we're living a very comfortable life. Uh, but I think 
you know, started looking at it and saying, Hey, you know, like, is this really what I want out of life? And, and could there be more that I'm actually looking for? And so that's kind of when probably about, I guess it was about five years ago, we started looking at real estate at the time. We didn't necessarily see it as an opportunity to kind of get out of the rat race in the corporate world. Um, but now kind of as time's gone on, we've been able to look at it a little bit differently. Uh, my wife's actually doing some different business ventures herself as well. And so I think we're just kind of getting to the point finally where it's like, hey, you know, we want to be in a little bit more control of our time. And, our, you know, we want to be around for our kids when they're at ages and, and we're, when we're at ages that we can actually get around and do fun things together. Right. Um, so I think that's really kind of what we've started to look through and, and kind of where we want to where we want to be. Oh, that's, that's great. So did you start first with residential or did, did you go straight to commercial multifamily? Well, let me, let me, before you start that, man, oh, short, okay. qu short question, short, <laughs> short answer. Did you already, did you already quit your W2? No, no, I'm still, oh, I'm okay. st yeah, I'm still, I'm still working right now. Um, it's, uh, I'm an outside sales, so I do have a little bit of freedom over my schedule versus a oh. lot of people that are kind of, you know, hey, back to back to back. So, um it's a challenge, right? I mean, I think anybody that's trying to, to work full time and then also have something going on on the side is a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't necessarily know how long that's going to go on for, but for the time being, yeah, I'm still, still working full time, but um, you know, versus folks that are, you know, project manager, you know, any type of manager type role, anything of that sort, you know, I'm, I do have a little bit more flexibility over my time, which is obviously a benefit to me. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Oscar. No, no, you're good, man. You're good, bro. No, that was a good question because it, it, I think it came before mine. So, like, it yeah. really works with the podcast. So then, I even forgot what I asked now. So, <laughs> so I think you're asking about I, real estate, right? Like, like when, that's like, right. Like when we how how we got started. So mm -hmm. I know this is going to sound terrible. So honestly, mm -hmm. I didn't really get really intentional until about 24, 30 months ago, right? It was just like, hey. I'm the man. I'm, I'm making good money. My wife makes good money. Like we just thought, Hey, you know, we're, we made it like we're in, right. Like this is just kind of whatever. And so uh, we actually fell into real estate. It wasn't even intentional. So what happened was we actually, both of us work for a company. It's a big company. And so we have a lot of employees that do, you know, uh, lesser paying jobs. And so because of that, we have something called a non-discriminatory 401k plan. And so we were only allowed to put in a certain amount and this is only like three or 4% of, you know, of our compensation into the 401k plan. So before kind of back to the, you know, the white picket fence and, you know, the American dream, we had been plugging away the max, right? We were putting away a max into our 401k. We were just like, man, this is awesome. Like we're putting away the max, we're doing all the right stuff. And, you know, it's how ironic how that non-discriminatory plan actually probably was the biggest opportunity for us because that actually forced us to start looking at things. And so all of a sudden our bank account started, we're just like, okay, well, we're not putting this into our 401k. Now all of a sudden there's a lot more money that's flowing into our bank account. Well, what are we going to do with this? So we looked at different ventures. Real estate was one, uh, opening a gym or opening a restaurant, right? Those just always seem like the ones that people think mm -hmm. about, right? And so uh, because I had worked in gyms before and kind of saw the grind and the amount of effort that was put into it and, and the likelihood of them failing, that obviously didn't work out in restaurants. We don't know anything about it. Just, you know, <laughs> in the back of your head, it just sounds cool to open a restaurant. Um, yeah. So that's why real estate kind of came first and foremost, because it was like, hey, pseudo passive, you can put money in and, and ideally get, get money out monthly. So yeah, we did start, I don't want to say single family, but we started in individual units. We bought some condos uh, in Raleigh near, uh, near downtown. Uh, there's a college there. And so they're kind of nice. 
they're kind of pseudo multifamily because you rent them by the bedroom. So it's kind of like four individual leases in the condos, which is nice. So they're four bed, four bath. So if, you know, if one tenant leaves or whatever the case is, you're at least a little bit hedged and protected. Um, so that's how we fell into it. But kind of back to the unintentional path, I wasn't really doing anything. I, a buddy had introduced me to a broker. And so she brought us a couple deals and we picked up a couple really quickly but I wasn't really putting forth any effort. And I think that's really kind of what changed, like I said, about two and a half, three years ago is when I started saying, I need to really take control of this if I want it to, to get where I want it to be. And so I think that's kind of when the mind, shet, mind shift started and kind of, you know, back to the contrarian part. I think that's when it really started before it was just like, hey, go down the corporate path, make as much money as possible, plug it into the invest in these investments as you can ad hoc. And uh, I realized after about two years of not doing any deals in real estate, I can't just sit on my hands and expect the brokers to bring me deals if, if I want to get to the levels that I want to get to. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. So did you, because you, you know, you mentioned you started with, with single family, you know, were you paying these, because you do have a high paying job from what I understand, when we talk, um, and you are an accredited investor from when we talked before. Are you paying these cash because you had savings or were you partnering? How were you actually doing this? Yeah. So initially, um, you know, we, again, we were fortunate enough to have a little bit put away in savings. So we, we were only putting down the, the minimum 20%. The minimum. So um, there was a, there was a credit union around here that we were able to kind of work with. Um, and so they had very aggressive rates to five-year arm. So it is adjustable after those five years, but it's five-year terms. And so they only needed 20% down and these, these condos at the time are, um, what are they called? I can't remember the name of it, but the, there's such a high um, percentage of investors in the community that you can't get traditional financing on them because they know that they're just investment properties. Um, and so, like I said, I haven't, I haven't bought one in so long. Um, so I'm kind of forgetting what it's called, but, but yeah, so we were just doing the traditional 20% down, um, you know, getting the traditional mortgage on it and, and obviously having it in our personal names, you know, that's kind of one of the to get the 30 year amortization on the loan. That's what we were doing. Just getting it in our personal names. Yeah. So then were you, what's your exit strategy there to let it go before the five-year point? And did you do that? Well, so, well, so this is going to, again, back to the unintentional aspect or kind of like, this you is where Dave ran. <laughs> right. So we, so what, what did we start doing? We just started every single dollar extra we had, we just started paying down the mortgage. Right. We're just like, boom, 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 boom. And so, um, you know, we had, we had ended up paying one off in about 12 or 14 months or whatever the case is. And we were just like, so happy, you know, we were just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing it. Like we're crushing it. Like now we own this free and clear. And we looked at, you know, the annual statement. We're just like, oh my gosh, that's all we made. You know, like we, own, like, I thought we were supposed to be balling because we owned this thing outright. And so I think that's when I started really dawning on me is like, I need to really start looking at these investments at a, at a more high level and analytically, not just, Oh, okay, well now I own this free and clear. Yeah. I don't have any debt against it, but what's, what's the actual return profile? Because, you know, if we're, I'm only making, if it's worth 150 grand and I'm only making, you know, 10 grand a year, you know, is that really the best return profile? Should I reallocate that capital into something else, be it passive, be it active, whatever the case is. And so I think that's, again, kind of one of those light bulb moments in my head when I started looking at it and saying, okay, I need to really look at these analytically and not just, oh, okay, yeah, I'm kind of feeling my way around and going through this unintentionally. Yeah. So basically, basically, you started putting your money in real estate because just because it was better than to just put it on a savings account. 
That's that's where the whole venture started. And then Dave Ramsey, um, what what made you change? Because I mean, man, I have this conversation with a, a bunch of people, you know, and they and they go to the same towards the same path that you're talking about, where it's like oh, I want to pay my house. Now that you've gone through it and you already you already went through a whole system and the whole process of like, okay, I'm gonna put everything into paying my property. What do you tell these people before they go the whole way uh, to do or not to do? Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of funny that you're asking this question because we just had an instance. Um, we just bought a new, my wife needed a new car. So we bought a new car and so we were like, you know, should we, should we finance it? Should we not? And so I think just because there's so much uncertainty right now and just kind of determining what we're going to do with our lives is like, it's better just not to have a car payment right now. So it's just like, Hey, let's just buy it outright, which fortunately, you know, we just had some windfalls in a couple deals and, and she's got some stuff. So, you know, for any of my friends out there looking to do the tax stuff, we're going to do the section 179. So we're going to get full depreciation of that vehicle year one with the bonus depreciation. I mean, it's going to save us about $15,000 in taxes. So I always, you know, that's kind of the big thing. You're using it for work? Is that the, the purpose? Yeah. Is that yeah, what you yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, we're using it work. for work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're putting it in service for, for the company. Um, and so I think that's a big one is that, that, you know, kind of, I think that's when people talk about the active passive, right? I think that's a big thing you want to think about is the more on the active side you are, the more flexibility you have from a tax perspective. So you know, that's one of the things I, I always say now is like, you know, the best way to get a, a good deal on a car or save money on a car is to own a business, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, I mean, if they, you know, it can go up to like, I think it's a million or a million and a half that you can buy of, of vehicles or equipment oh, wow. to put into service yeah. and you can depreciate it hundred percent year one. So, I mean, the, the offset is you can't write off expenses against it in the future, but you know, it's pretty nice to get a pretty nice tax savings. So um, as far as the mindset, Dave Ramsey stuff, I think, you know, it really came from my parents. And I think that's kind of what started with just the, um, you know, just kind of the, the, the corporate path too, right? It was just like, I think that was really ingrained by my parents because my dad was an extremely successful corporate employee himself. He's a corporate CFO for a publicly traded company. And I saw his company get bought out by private equity and they kicked him to the curb. And, you know, he had a very nice payday coming out, but he lost a lot of kind of his self-worth because he had, he had, he had tied so much of that up in his career and his job. And so from that, that was only, that was like, I don't even know, probably, I mean, about the same time, like four or five years ago. And so, you know, this, this guy that had had this, you know, 30, 35 year tremendous corporate career, you know, climbed to, you know, like, that was his big thing. He never was CEO. Right. So that was like the one, you know, he, but, but CFO of division head of these, um, you know, publicly traded companies. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Right. But I just saw that he lost so much in his self-worth just from that instance. And so um, that really made a, 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 you know, a profound impression on me. And then to your point, like they've always been super, you know, Hey, let's pay this down. Let's pay this off. Let's not have debt. And so for a long, you know, they've never really had a, a car payment, you know, since they've been, you know, kind of, or I've been around, they haven't had car payments. They've tried to pay off the house as quickly as possible, all that stuff. So I think that was really ingrained in me. And, um, and I didn't really start thinking leverage because he actually did do a real estate dealing when he was younger and he ended up having to get foreclosed on because they did a terrible job. So he kind of steered away from the real estate for a long time. So I think really it came more from my parents and not until, I mean, this is even more 12, 18 months as I've really started diving more into inflation 
and the, the cost value of the dollar. And obviously it's extremely important now when you're talking about different assets, right? I mean, that's why crypto's blowing up, why commodities are going crazy and why the, why the stock market's going up so much is just because people are like, where are we going to put our money? The value of the dollar keeps diminishing. And so I think that's, for me, I think there's two things that if you're talking to people about being in debt, first of all, how comfortable are you being in debt? It doesn't make sense for you to just rack up tons of debt even though you know it's maybe the better financial move analytically if it's going to stress you out. So with the mm -hmm. car payment, that's what we thought about. It's like, hey, you know, do we want to add another five or $600 a month to our, to our, uh, our monthly expense rate right now? Which is like, no, we'd rather not. Like, you know, so we had to, that was a more of an emotional decision than an analytical one. Um, so that's the first one. But the second one is, I mean, the time value of money is so important. And I think that's one, again, that I didn't realize the value of it until recently, but with, especially when you're talking about a house and paying off a house early or a mortgage on a property, obviously commercial properties are different because you got balloons, right? So it's a little bit different scenario, but if you talk about like a single family rental, the dollar you're paying today versus the dollar you're paying in year 10 or year 20, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So they're allowing mm -hmm. you to pay with money that's worth less in the future. And so it was because I was talking to my wife about it just recently. She's like, oh my gosh, we still owe that on our house. And I'm like, I mean, we're very, very minimally leveraged. Like we want to draw this out as long as possible. You know, I didn't want to, we've got the heat, we did the HELOC instead of the actual cash out refi on the house. And so, cause I think that just, again, for me, the, the flexibility is there, right? If I want to pull the line, I can, if I don't, my monthly yeah. payment doesn't go up unless I'm, you know, using that from an investment perspective. So the biggest one is, you know, how comfortable are you with leverage? Because that's, you know, if you're just stressed out all the time because you've leveraged all these things and your monthly expenses are higher than you can handle, to me, that's not, that's not, that's counterproductive. But if you can be comfortable with that and you can draw it out and you have enough income streams to offset those expenses, I mean, it, it makes no sense to pay with today's dollars if you can pay, pay asset down, assets down with future dollars. I agree. Yeah. And it, I think that's key, man. People, you have to be comfortable with your stress level, with your strategy you can't do what someone else is doing you know you have to figure it out for yourself so then you know because i know you have uh, a multifamily apartment building right there in north carolina um I, I think that was your first one if i'm correct and you know how did you make that jump uh into that and then you know tell us a little bit about because i know you have sales experience that's your you know your corporate gig so tell us a little bit how, how that helped you, you know, land this deal and, and so forth. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so yeah, I'll take a little bit of, take a little bit of a step back because it was a little bit of a process and, and, uh, and a journey. So, um, so like I said, it was very unintentional for me for a couple of years. And so after a while, we, um, we got a lot of credit against the properties that we had and we're like, well, let's do something with this, this extra money, you know, that we can pull it if we want and we don't have to be exposed if we don't want to. It was kind of like the hybrid of, you know, aggressive and conservative, you know, we could use it if we wanted to, but we didn't have to. And so I did a private, I did a private loan. And so I, I, I lent money to a flipper. He did a flip. He did a great job. Project turned out successful, but I didn't really, and I made like a couple thousand dollars in like 60 days. Right. So it was cool, but it was like, I, my hands weren't really dirty enough. So I'm like, Hey, let me, let me try to do these flips. This doesn't seem that hard, right? Let me do this. So, so I did three flips and this is, yeah, I guess this is a while ago. This is 2019. I did three flips and uh, I worked way harder than I should have. I made way less than I should have. Thankfully I didn't lose any money, but it was just super time consuming, super stressful. 
And I mean, you're just constantly, you know, talking to contractors, getting, having delays, having all sorts of material stuff, money's going out. Of course, you know, I'm a sucker for a sob story. So I, I, I lost plenty of money on, you know, BS <laughs> contractors. Hey, I got, I'm buying this house and, you know, I got to close on Friday and that's why I need you to pay me today. I know yeah. I've only done a quarter of the work and I'm like, you know what? Like, these are good people. Like, they're not going to take advantage. And you know what they did? They took, they full took advantage. <laughs> full <laughs> yeah. advantage of me. So I learned the hard way. Um, you know, I probably spent, you know, 25 or $30,000 way too much on those projects. But again, thankfully, came out, you know, they were wins. Um, but the, one of the projects that I did kind of on my own, I kind of ran GC on, um, and I don't, I'm the, I'm the farthest from handy person ever. So I was learning literally everything. Like, I don't even know what most of the stuff's called or anything like that <laughs> throughout. And so, um, so I had the opportunity to kind of run GC on this one. And when I, when I closed that deal and I resold it, it was one of the proudest moments of my life. It was like, Oh my gosh, like I did this. And so it was exciting. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I have the ability to make this capital outside of my job. Right. And I think that's one of the hard things when you have a corporate career that can be tough sometimes is like, well, how can I actually make income outside of that job? Like, Hey, I'm really good at this, but am I just in a bubble? Like, do I actually have the abilities to do this outside of this corporate sphere? And I think from at least the conversations I've had, I know a lot of other, you know, successful professionals have the same concern. So that was for me, like the awakening right there. What I realized was it's really hard to find deals, regardless if you know you're flipping, if you're trying to get rentals or whatever the case is. And this is 2019, right? So things were hot, but they're not on fire like they are now. Yeah. And so, and so from there, I kind of realized like I was talking to wholesalers a lot, networking with them, and I just wasn't getting any deals because they were just throwing stuff up at crazy numbers. Which, of course, if I would have bought them then and flipped them, that you know I would have made made a lot of money. But well, not with my skills, but I would have made some money at least. <laughs> and so from there, I was like, hey, let me start maybe going down this multifamily path. What's this all about? And so I was looking at, you know, smaller deals, whatever, six to, to 10 units, 15 units or whatever. And so I started networking with brokers. Hey, this is my criteria. This is what I'm looking for. And it, it just wasn't really getting anywhere. And so then I started getting more into the education side. So I was reading all the books. I read Joe Fairless's book, which is an outstanding book, by the way. Um, you know, all the podcasts and all that education. And so me being stubborn and a salesperson, I was just like, you know what, let me just try this, right? Let me, these brokers can't be that much smarter or better than me. You know, I talked to a bunch of them. So, so I knew, I knew, I knew what I was working with. So I'm like, you know what, these guys are just talking to these owners. Let me just see what happens. And so uh, my first foray was I pulled a list from list source and just, you know, of course I, my filters I had on it were probably terrible, but I was just like, so that I ran it through a skip trace ran it out. And so I just started calling through the list and I ended up getting a property under contract. And again, you know, me in my infancy being so naive, I was like, so excited. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like I'm so stoked. It was 12 units. I'm just like fired up. And, you know, I get in, we, we do the due diligence, we walk through the property and it just, you know, it's just a bridge too far. It just had needed so much work. It probably needed 10 to 12 grand per unit. There was definitely upside in the rents, but it just was all in. I was like, I don't think I can refi this and even get all my capital back that I put in, let alone, you know, you know, I was still going to have two or $300,000 in the deal. And I'm like, I just don't think this deal's worth it um, for, for that level of work and the amount of risk. So I was like, let me walk away from this one. And then after that, and that, you know, list source is cheap, right? I mean, that probably cost me what a couple hundred bucks, maybe to get that list out. So then I came across this tool called Reonomy and it's a couple thousand dollar investment. And I'm just like, you know what, this is early last year. And I'm just like, you know what, I think maybe 
like, let me just really try to make a run at this. Like I, I need to give myself the opportunity to be as successful as possible. So let me give myself the best tools. So I'd done the free trial and I ran through it and I was like, you know, this is pretty legit. Let me, let me go through this. Yeah. So then same thing, just running my filters, you know, certain properties that I was looking, I was looking for motivated owners, right. Or motivated. Yeah. Motivated owners. And so was running the list, no sales last 10 years, you know, depending on how much debt's on the property, you know, when things have traded and whatever. And so, I mean, honestly, like within the first two weeks I had, I had a deal popping and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's a 20 unit. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like, this is easy. Like I'm, I got this I'm the man. And so, I mean, this one, this one was rough. And so it was, so it was an attorney, the guy had gone to school in North Carolina, but now he's down in Florida. And I'm just like, you know, he's an attorney. He's a good guy. Right. He's not gonna, you know, so he kept stringing me along, stringing me along. We, so I naively inspected the property, spent a couple thousand dollars on due diligence and he had never signed the contract because he kept pushing me off because it was going to be an owner financed. He was going to owner finance the whole thing. He was going to do like 24 months interest only. And then it was like a fixed rate of like four, four and a quarter, 30 year amortization on the back. I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm the man. Like, the look at me. Whole thing. Thing. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm the man. Like, or not the whole thing. It was uh, 80%. I mean, yeah, all I needed oh, to put down was still. 20%, but still, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm so good at negotiating. I'm the man. <laughs> And so I did all this stuff. And then last minute, he just like pulls the rug out from under me. And he's like, oh, we're just going to pass on it. And I'm just like, what do you mean you're going to pass on it? Like, I'm literally driving to drop off the, the earnest money check. And he's like, I'm just, we're just going to pass on it. And so like my heart sank, you know, unfortunately, not, my, not one of my prouder moments. You know, I wasn't begging, but I was pretty darn close to begging. I'm just like, how can you do this? Like, you know, what's it going to take? And, and he just kept, you know, running me back and forth, giving me the runaround. And so that one, that one ended up falling through. And so then that was kind of like the rude awakening. And then I was like, I don't know if I can just do this on my own as far as just like making sure that I'm setting myself up for success. And Wait, then, let, me, so, let me ask you a question real quick. So yeah. you, you, you were going down the, you know, owner finance path and you were going through it without a contract in place, an initial contract in place for due diligence period, all that stuff. Am I, am I correct? So, so we had agreed on everything. And again, this is kind of, this but, is how naive verbally, I so verbally, and I had sent him the contract and he had it, but he was, he, so the way he was stringing me along was he was saying that he was working with his attorney to figure out all the terms uh, of financing. And so I, again, me being naive, I was just like, well, that, yeah, sounds, yeah. that sounds reasonable. And I didn't want to make, I wanted him to know that I was hungry Serious. and ready to do the deal. So that's why I kind of let, and like in the back of my mind, the whole time I knew, I was like, I probably should get this signed, you know, but, but also I was just like nervous because I wanted it to work so bad that I just kind of let it slide. And, and again, I mean, that's what happens. You get bit, right? You kind of yeah. cut corners yeah. and it ends up to bite you in the, in the back. And the, exi the excitement too, man. I mean, I, th I think we all gone through that where you try to make it happen so much that, that you're, you're like, you're excited, I, you know? I have to pull it off. I have to pull it off. And then. Well, you end up spending all that money or sometimes you're getting into the bad deal just because you wanted it to happen. You know? Yeah. You Absolutely. pencil whip it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so from there, um, you know, I can't remember how much time I took off, but I probably took off you know, a week or two and I was just like, you know what, forget this, man. Like this sucks. Um, but I got back into it. And I mean, the crazy thing is, man, like I talked to so many people. I mean, I've put out so many, of course, they're super lowball offers and, and very rarely do you get kind of a person that's interested in it. But man, I've talked to so many people and, and being a salesperson, that's kind of part of the fun for me. Right. And I think that's what, you know, what the difference about the multifamily side from what I've seen versus I, I was listening to one of your guys episodes earlier today and he was talking about using a lot of VAs and stuff. And on the multifamily side, 
when you get an, when you get a, an owner on the phone, you want to sound competent, right? I mean, the I think the the scripts and the and the message and the um, questions you're asking are going to be a little bit different because sometimes they'll say, "Well, how much do you want to pay?" or you know, "Do you own anything in the area?" or "How familiar are you with the area?" or "How close are you to the area?" And so I think that's one thing when you get into the multifamily side, it's a little bit harder just to kind of cherry pick markets. And so I, what I yeah. recommend to people is you've got to at least have some level of knowledge in the market. You know, you've got to have some bro broker relationships so you at least know what pricing should be around and, and what a good price to offer is. And, and so from there, yeah, I just started going back through it and then um, had a couple more deals that got pretty close and then finally ended up landed one. Um, yeah, late last year. So that was, I guess, August, and we ended up closing in uh, November. No, and that's awesome. And, and you, you mentioned Rihanna. I mean, I'm just going to throw a plug in there because, you know, I used that system maybe a year ago, and I did the trial. And it's amazing. One, one of the things you can do in it is there's all these parameters, and it pulls the data from, from every, anywhere. But one of the best parameters I found was you could find out who's uh, – you know, bridge debt is coming due like within a year or a few months. And I mean, if you really think about it, these are people that either want to sell or are ready to refinance. If they're not ready to refinance, they're going to sell. So, that, I mean, they're motivated. And that's how you can really target. And Realme had, I mean, the data they pull, I think, rivals Coldstar. So, and, and Coldstar, for those that don't know, or, you know, it's for, you know, the guys that are the brokerages. Um, and it's very it's very expensive as well it's super expensive but yeah i just want to throw that plug in but that that's pretty cool about how you know you, you tied in your sales did you use any any wholesalers uh did you leverage any one in in, in that realm yeah so one thing one other thing real quick so the other part of having the relationship directly with the owner is there's there's more ways to monetize it than just the transaction so I actually had a deal that I had flipped to an agency lender that he was doing a refi for and they were able to get proceeds of $4 million. So he was going to pay me a quarter point. So I was going to make like 10 or 15 grand from referring him for a refinance. Problem is the market's so strong, they were only going to give, get like 4 million loan proceeds and they were able to sell it for 7 million, right? So the yeah. loan proceeds and especially because of COVID and stuff. So, and you know, same thing, you know, referring to lenders, referring to um, insurance brokers, so there's a lot of ways to monetize the relationship with an owner other than just the transaction itself. So, I mean, that's one thing I would just say for folks out there looking, whereas, you know, primarily if you're doing wholesaling on the, on the single family side, it's pretty much just the transaction, right? If you refer to a broker, there's just not enough margin in the deal, right? When, if you're talking about, you know, multi-million dollar deal, there's usually margin to squeeze out, you know, Hey, here's 10, here's 20 grand, whatever the case is. So, um, but back to your question about using wholesalers and stuff, um, for some reason here in North Carolina, there's just not a lot of folks that are doing kind of that mid-level space, right? Um, you know, the kind of that 10 to 40 units. There's just not a lot of people. There's a guy that I'm, I'm starting to build more of a rapport with, and he's kind of doing the same thing a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's just so hard to get these people on the phone, and it's so hard that these um, – these, these deals are just in such demand. It's like, do you really want to loop somebody in, right? You know, if somebody snaked you on a wholesale deal or a single family deal, it's like, yeah, that was 10 grand, 15 grand. But, you know, if somebody snakes you on a multifamily deal, I mean, that could theoretically be a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I think that's why I've decided just to kind of play it close to the best. I do want to start experimenting with other markets, just, you know, and kind of maybe a throwaway market where it's like, ah, I don't love this, but maybe I could plug in a VA and just kind of see if I could systemize it. And then obviously I could look at scaling more so, but 
I like to at least be, you know, somewhere where I have a, you know, four or five hour driving distance where I can get there and back in a day. So if somebody said, Hey, you know, meet me here today and let's sign this contract, you know, I want to be able to be there and, and make it happen. Yeah, no, I hear you. So let me let me ask you this, man. I mean, uh, uh, one is real quick. Uh, if you don't mind sharing with us the, the business plan for this property, and the other one is so you, you just started your your podcast as well, and, and your podcast the, the name. And, and I mean, you're gonna you're gonna talk about it, but the name is so interesting and, and so catching that I mean, before we started recording, I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm interested in this story because it sounds like you're going against the current on on your on your tactics and that's what you want to show people so i want to hear that too so if you can share with us uh the uh, the business plan what's the strategy or the uh yeah what's the plan for the property that you just closed on last year and then tell us about the uh, uh what is it that you want to show people uh to do yeah yeah no absolutely i appreciate that so um well, i'll give you kind of like a synopsis of how it played out like i won't go into the the whole thing but um so Older woman, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but she had liquidated about 160 doors the year before. So she's, I mean, she's probably worth at least 10, maybe 15 million uh, in the same market, but she inherited all of it from her, from her dad. And she was, I don't know if she's the sole heir, but she's the sole, I'm assuming she was the sole heir because she was the sole owner of these properties. And so uh, honestly, when I called her, I, I thought it was a throwaway property. I'm like, you know, it's just, it's, it's a property. It's never going to hurt me to have more experience talking to property owners, right? Regardless if I want to buy it or not. I was just like, looked at the crime map, looked at some stuff. I'm just like, I just don't love this property. <laughs> and so I talked to her and I'm just like, ah, if I can buy it low enough, you know, maybe I can turn around and flip it or whatever. And then when I'm talking to her, she's like, oh, I've actually got this other one that I'd like to sell and just liquidate everything at once. So it was a 14 unit and a four unit. And so I'm like, okay, um, you know, that sounds fine. So we're negotiating. She sends me the rent roll, um, not the rent roll. She sends me the P&L and I'm just like, okay, this looks good. So I offered her, I mean, super low ball price. And I give her uh, a date that she can't, she needs to respond by date passes. You know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, she ghosted me. Like I was all excited. Cause I'm like, Oh man, this is it. So I call her back the next day. I'm like, I don't want to just like blow her up right afterwards, but I call her back the next day. And she's like, Oh, sorry. I was out of town. Like, I didn't even think about it. Let me look at it. Give me a call back tomorrow. She calls me back and she's like, Oh yeah, that price is fair. Yeah, let's do it. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then this is the best part. This is the best part. So, so then, then she gets me in contact with the property manager. And I thought I was buying a 12 unit and a four unit. They, uh, they send it to me. It's actually 14 units. So I was happy paying that price at 16 units and it ended up being 18. So that was kind of, that was like the coolest part was I was just like, I just found two units for free. So I was like, Oh, this is pretty sweet. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of I, honestly, like just one of those situations. And so, uh, with the four unit, I've already actually sold it. So that was just, you know, I just, I didn't want it, but I knew that the market was so strong. So I bought it for, for right around 30 K a door. And then we just sold it at about 45 K a door. Um, you know, it was just, a, it was a quad. It was a, it was a great property. It was just in a bad area. Um, and so that was kind of why it was just like, you know, maybe even, even if I tried to burr it, it probably would only cash flow a couple hundred bucks a month, the HVACs, the roof were coming end of life. It's like, do I really want to mess around? So you know, I was able to net like 60 grand on that thing just by flipping it. You know, I, I bought it in November 19th and we just closed. So like within 60 days was able to get out of it. And if it was a cash nice. buyer, it would have been even faster. Um, and, and when you mean flipping it, you mean just holding it and then selling it, right? Yeah. Wholesale. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much. The wholesale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, so not, I, not really flipping it because you didn't <laughs> put anything into it, right? You know? Well, 
so it got shot up. In the meantime, it got shot up. It had like 10 bullet holes in it. One of the tenants had some, you know, was, was doing some, I think, drug things. And so it got quite shot up. So it had some bullet holes. We had to patch those. But outside of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I mean, like major renovation <laughs> he did it. That's why. Yeah, yeah, he, no. just, he just held it, hoteled it. And, you know, the market's so crazy right now. I was appreciating you did yeah. the right thing. You Northeasterner, yep. Just Northeasterner. He's just like, oh, yep, that sounds like a good deal. I was like, all right, you know, take it. So, yeah, um, yeah so that was a nice little win for that. And that was part of it also was just like, I wanted that money to prove to myself that I could do it. Right. So even it, I mean, yeah, 60 grand is great, but even if it was just 10 grand, it would have been like, Hey, I did this. And my wife was giving me a tough time. She's like, you've just wasted so much money. Like, you know, you, you bought this software, you're doing this, dude, are you going to ever make any money? Right. So part of it was like, I just needed to prove to myself, like, Hey, this is possible and I can actually make money on it. And so I think that was really kind of the proof of concept. It's like, I can do this. Like, this is possible. Um, yeah. for, the four, for the 14 unit, I mean, fortunately, we bought it at such a basis, at such a low basis that, I mean, we're, we're really slow playing it right now. Obviously, we want to turn it, and it's a 69 vintage, so I'd love to say, like, I'd like to hold it long term, but, you know, I think it's really just going to depend on, you know, how end of life some of the CapEx stuff start, you know, how the sewer drains, those are going to be coming up for repair pretty soon. I mean, um, some of the other things, it's got a new roof. We just did about $30,000 next year CapEx, so it didn't have gutters, there was a lot of rot on some of the soffit and fascia. So it actually looks, it looks more modern now. It was like, it looked like it was right out of the seventies before. Now it does look, you know, we did a lot nice little gray tonal and, you know, painted the shutters black. And so it looks, it looks like a nice little property now, of course, you know, it's a C-class asset, but it looks a little bit nicer. Um, but right now because of COVID, we're really just slow playing it. Um, you know, I think the average rents right now are about 595 and we think markets about 725, 750. And so I think, until the moratorium comes out and until things really get in line, we're just keeping everybody month to month and just very fortunate that collections have been strong. We're averaging about 94% collection efficiency uh, so far. So, um, you know, because of COVID, and I think that's one of the benefits of doing smaller deals and doing deals on your own is because I can kind of make, you know, I can kind of make the rules. Like if I want to call an audible and change the business plan, there's nothing really you know, holding yeah. me back or I don't have to go talk to investors and kind of feel it out. So right now we're slow playing it. Um, but I'm really hoping, you know, as the vaccine gets, gets out there more and as things start to open up more and more, we can start working through it. Cause a lot of folks are just month to month <clears> right now. And so as soon as, you know, we, the goal was to try to turn at least 10, if not 12 to 14 of the units within the first 12 months and then try to refinance it out. Yeah. So nice. one of the last questions here, but JV, or syndication, which one? Which one? Which one is better? You think, or it? It just depends what you want, right? I mean, so like in in this scenario, same with with, with this deal, like it appraised at two hundred fifty thousand over the purchase price, right? And that was at a ten cap, so that that valuation was bogus, but it didn't matter because we didn't need that number, right? And so because I'm doing that, or if I would have brought in one or two partners, the, the problem with this deal is it was just too good. You know, I didn't want to bring in anybody else, right? You know. And so I think that's the problem with some of the stuff. And so I think it just depends what you want, right? For me, I like personal relationships. I, will, I like working with smaller teams. And I think there's a lot of money wasted on the syndication side as far as fees and as far as legal expenses and things like that. So it, it, just, it just depends what you want to do. Um, you know, for me personally, I like to be more active in the deal. And that's why I think the JV side is better for me as far as the syndication side. I don't think it's bad. I just think I do kind of, do not believe in the like generational wealth through passive investing. You know, the people that are passively investing are already super rich that are just living passively off the income. Not that it's not good to have diversification of income, but just also realize that a $50,000 investment only gets you $333 in cash flow a month. I didn't eight prep. 
And so like, I guess that's what I always just try to tell people is like, what's your end goal? And kind of back to my intentionality before, that's really what I want to understand from investors is what's your, what's your end goal? What's, what's your, what's your expectation of, of what this is? If it's just, Hey, I just, I'd rather collect, you know, instead of this money in the market or instead of this money in my savings account, I'd rather have it invested in something else that's going to give me long-term cash flow. That's fine. But if their goal is saying, Hey, I want to be financially free in two to five years, Unfortunately, I don't yeah. think syndication is the right vehicle for you. But let me, sorry, I know I didn't answer your question about the contrarian cash flow. I know I'm talking way too much. But, um, <laughs> no, you're good. So, you're the one that's supposed to be talking. So. <laughs> it's, your, it's your show, man. Keep going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, with the show, it was kind of the same thing, um, kind of like I was talking about before with the corporate side. So, really, it was, I was talking to all my buddies and they have like real careers, you know, like I'm a sales guy and you know, sales is always, it's always kind of talked down upon, right? It's just like, oh, they're just a sales guy. And that's fine, right? It's, it's a grind, but it's not like one of the more prestigious careers, right? But I'm talking to buddies that are data scientists, attorneys, um, you know, uh, engineers, you know, like these jobs that people like, you know, that's kind of like what they aspire to be. And the biggest issue that I had, they all said, I hate my job, I want to quit. You know, and I'm just like, I thought that was just for the sales guy that, you know, keeps getting, you know, kicked in the, you know, kicked from behind constantly and, and knocked down. And so I think that's really kind of where the mindset yeah. shifted. And that's kind of what I wanted the contrarian cash flow to be, because that's what the tagline is. Think different, live or uh, think different, earn different, live fulfilled, because I think being able to think differently is the first step in all of it. And I don't think I'd be able to have the success or kind of be reaching to these goals if I hadn't initially thought differently. And so what we do is we bring on entrepreneurs that are coming from different backgrounds and under, try to understand their mindset and their journey. And so that we can kind of try to take those skills and those thought processes and kind of help expedite our journey. Because the people that the more the majority of people that I hang around with and I want to be around are people that can help make me better. Right. I want to help make them better. But I also want selfishly, you know, I want them to help make me better. And so I think that's kind of what's been great about the podcast because it's attracting people that want to be active, that want to compress the time frame. Where, how quickly can we get to financial freedom, and how can we start living the life that we want sooner rather than hey, at sixty-five I can go off and retire and do all this stuff, which you know at that time who knows how how your health will be or how the world will be or, or anything. Yeah. Right? I'd rather yeah. try to start living today versus the future. And so that's kind of really that was like the impetus for the podcast and. Uh, you know, I'm sure as you guys know, I mean, it's been one of the best things I've started to do, you know, I'm yeah. so, so, so happy with it. And just the networking perspective alone, it's just been amazing. And I mean, you guys were a huge help to me as well. I mean, you got me connected with Sophia and Jen. So I really appreciate that. They were out Yeah, there. of course. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be here with you guys right now. So. Yeah, man. No, I think that's awesome. That's great to, to hear all that. You're, you know, you're, you're doing amazing things. So I'm just going to throw it out there because uh, we literally just had this conversation uh, last night. But, you know, you have to have your, like you just said, you have to decide what you want. Do you want the cash flow? Do you want the equity? And financial freedom, generational wealth means, you know, something different for 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 each individual. And we, we learned it the other day from uh, um, our IG guy, K KJ, um, transformational wealth at the moment some people want that and cash flow gets you uh out of a job and equity keeps you out of a job so it is that two different perspectives right so just, just keep that in mind for anyone listening out there of what what do you truly want if you want to go on a deal and get that long-term wealth that's going to multiply itself or you want that instant money right now that'll get you out of your job right yeah. So, 
two different and also tools. and also there's different it's different tools as well you know i mean if if i if i have that job that doesn't give me the uh uh, the flexibility to work and be active on a deal, then, well, let me take my money and put it on a syndication while I'll learn, you know, what is it that they're doing, the, the, the team is doing with the, uh, with the investment, uh, instead of me being JV, because if I'm JV, then I'm, I'm, I'm side to side with you, and we have to work on it, the two of us. Well, if I put my money on the syndication, whether it's $50,000, $100,000, it's like, okay, yeah, it's not too much, but then you also, you're also part of the game. Uh, so whether it's good or not, but for some people, like I said, it's different tools, different different ways to to play the game and, and to also yeah. put your foot in in the uh, in the game. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, John and, and tell you know for the audience, tell us because uh, I know we're we're here close. What uh where they can find you? Tell them about your podcast. Uh, I know you got speaking events coming up too. So yeah, man, share it all. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just weird because, you know, you just maybe as you guys started off on this, too, it's just weird to start being like people actually want to hear you, hear your story, hear what you're talking about and stuff, which is exciting and uh, it's scary at the same time. So, yeah, no, I'm so fortunate. Um, I'm not sure if this will come out in time for the events, but yeah, uh, Jerome Myers, multi, a mid-Atlantic multifamily investor conference. So I attended last year and I'm fortunate enough to be a speaker this year. I'm so excited. And then Angel Williams, um, her conference coming up as well, too. So speaking at those, uh, really just talking about, you know, kind of the journey, my, my personal journey and, you know, what folks are looking at. Because, again, kind of the contrarian path, everyone's like, talk to brokers, network with brokers. And not saying that it's not something you should do. The irony is I've built better relationships with brokers now because I'm telling them of deals and properties that I'm working on than just calling them and saying, you know, now they're like calling me being like, Hey, what are you, what are you working on? What are you doing? Right. So the, the irony is now my relationships with brokers are even stronger because of my fact, the fact that they're like, Oh, okay, well this guy can flip deals or, you know, he can give me my next listing or whatever the case is. Um, so, but, but yeah, so I'm speaking to those conferences, super excited. Uh, as far as the podcast, obviously any major podcast platform that you listen to or just contrariancashflow.com. Obviously, if you like the show, love, uh, love anybody to leave a review on there. And then um, you can find me on LinkedIn or my website. Uh, you can book a call on there and it's uh, peakcapitalgrp.com, peakcapitalgrp.com. Awesome, man. Yeah, and, and for the audience, you know, just, just a reminder out there, uh, if you like the episode, leave us a five-star review, uh, send us some feedback. Um, we also out there, we have our free ebook, our, our intentional digital planner, and we have the course out there now. So go ahead and, um, you know, check it out. And, and you know, we're, we're always glad to help get on that one-on-one. Yeah, we're out, I think. I think anything else, John, German? No, man. man this I, is I, awesome. I really appreciate it. All and right. I, I, I really enjoyed it, man. And I really enjoyed the, the, uh, the story and how you got there. Bro. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome, man.